would like to thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities, okay? And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, to Mayor Peel, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress, yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house dollar lot program because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the streets scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to, they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and not have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses. Don't tell me that's not by design. We've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let there be no doubt. Justice delayed is justice denied. Hello, Baltimore. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And, and what we have here is the truth with the proof. Because as I always say, I don't mind sharing my research. Because anything I say on the air, I can back it up with facts. Okay, so we're not just on the air talking to hear ourselves talk. And the other thing uh, about our show is, and this is my philosophy, information is not power. Information, the use of information is power. The correct application of information is power. Okay? And that's what this show is all about. We're, what we're doing here is we're trying to give the analytical basis uh, for um, 
the program that we're trying to get started here to to help our people with home ownership, jobs and jobs training, and uh, crime reduction because crime reduction is a it is a holistic type thing. You can't the police alone cannot do it. People, the police cannot, and by definition, you can't be arrested unless you commit a crime. Okay, that's called constitutional policing. All right. And, you, you you know, we don't want false arrests. We don't want people's necks broken when they're taken in to uh, face their day in court. We want constitutional policing. We want community policing. So we want to make sure that our rights are respected in regards to uh, policing when, when we have these rights. Now, a lot of things have transpired over the years to take away some of our civil rights. The main thing, and it's always been my theory, and I've always said this, is in the black community, and this was because um, you have setbacks when you have um, things like the civil rights movement. You always have a, a setback or a black president. <laughs> you'll get a racist president next. OK. And uh, I'm not going to debate whether or not Donald Trump's racist because anybody can't figure that out. I was an idiot. So it's a waste of time. But um, the, the main one of the main things that they use to, uh, you know, put us back in our place is, a, is the war on drugs. OK. That was the answer. That was actually the answer to the um, the uh, civil rights movement, because. People were finding out that they had that their children would have to compete with blacks in jobs. They would have to compete with and themselves with jobs, getting getting um, school positions and, and all these other housing. And uh, they were really, you know, a lot of people really teed off about this. You know, a lot of these people, the old white pa- patriarchy, the old white power uh, structure, the Archie Bunkers of the world, and their kids were actually rebelling against them. They had hippies and all that stuff. And Nixon wanted to get even, or he had an enemies list. And the thing about Nixon for the young people that don't and never heard of him. Uh, he's about to get impeached, and but he left before um, they did it. Because impeachment simply means you're being brought up on charges. It doesn't mean you're going to leave office or anything. It means you're going to be put on trial for high crimes and misdemeanors as per the Constitution. Now, there were two presidents that were impeached. One was Bill Clinton. The other was Andrew Johnson. Okay? Only two presidents that have ever been impeached. And this, I'm pretty sure that, pretty certain this one's going to probably get impeached too. Not that it's going to do a whole lot of good, but it's going to make you feel better, right? So and that's the whole thing. As long as people feel good, and there's, you know, you don't need a whole lot of results or whatever. It's just we got to make people feel good about themselves and about the country. So you know, the uh, results be damned. Okay, but at any rate, and as a matter of fact, Bill Clinton, by the time he was impeached, he was in his second term. All right, and um, God, he got impeached for something most men would would do anyway if they got caught. If they if they were inclined to, to cheat on their wives, they're not going to say publicly that they did it. I mean, nobody's going to do that stupidity. So, I mean, you know, and and, and that's called kissing and telling anyway, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I'm not going to get into the mechanics of it. Okay. So, um, Nixon um, uh, launched a war on drugs, and I played this clip on the show where his aide, Ehrlichman, who went to jail for Nixon, by the, uh, um, by the way, and Nixon was similar to Trump, except the only difference with Nixon and Trump is Nixon would tell you, I am not a crook. He would say that. He would actually say that. I am not a crook. And you're like, no way. Who would say anything about you being a crook? You know, Nixon, nobody's. I mean, I am not a crook. I just want the American people to know I am not a crook. Very famous Nixon quote. You can look it up. Um, but Donald Trump, on the other hand, will say, I am a crook. <laughs> so what you going to do about it? <laughs> I'm a crook. So what? You know, everybody do it. Yeah. Yeah, we get information on Biden about, you know, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so. That's the difference between Nixon and Trump. You got a guy telling you, I am a crook, and I'm the president, though, so it don't really matter. And then you got one guy saying, at least have the dignity to say, knowing that he's guilty as hell, though, saying, I am not a crook. I just want the American 
people to know their president is not a crook. You know, Nixon. Okay? So, what we're going to do is, and I already played the clip about Nixon's aide, John Ehrlichman, saying that they was going to use the war on drugs in a conference with Nixon, saying that they could use the war on drugs to um, punish the hippies, the black people, put them in their place. You know, you can raid their homes, break up their meetings. All this stuff was reported by John Ehrlichman, who was a Nixon aide. Everybody that was around him during that time know about these people's names. Okay? So I'm not going to play that again. It's a waste of time. And and uh, if you haven't, if you don't know this, have this knowledge now. I'm, I'm you know I'm not wasting time on you. You should already know this. You can look it up. By the way, just Google why did Nixon start the war on drugs? Okay, it had nothing to do with any medical considerations. We didn't even have a really big drug problem back then. We had people using drugs, but it wasn't as big as it got to be as a result of war on drugs. Because the war on drugs made the drug actually made the drugs more expensive and more people more people wanted to get involved in selling them. It did the exact opposite of what you think it would do. It's counterintuitive, but that's what happened. Okay. And as I said, they legalized um, drugs in Portugal back in 2002, all right? And they cut their addiction rates in half. Hardly anybody gets infected with AIDS in that country um, from intravenous drug use. Um, they reduce their crime. It's counterintuitive. And Americans, the United States told them not to do it. They did it anyway. They said, you stupid people. Well, you, you look at your crime. And they went ahead and did it. The smart people told them, you got to legalize everything. They did it. They took the money that they were using for police, and they put it in the treatment. And, uh, you know, holistic approaches, giving people jobs, you know, and, and uh, just attacking this thing like a medical situation, which is what it is. Because drug use is a sickness. If I lock you up, you're sick, and I put you in jail, um, that's not going to cure you, okay? You got cancer, I'll put you in jail. It's not going to cure you. It's a sickness, all right? And guess what? When you get out, you're going to die of cancer if you don't go to a hospital, all right? Same thing with drugs. If I lock you up, you're, you're sick. You're more in need of, of treatment than you need to be locked up, in my opinion. Now, once I, once you get out of jail, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go back to using drugs, man. <laughs> you know, people, don't, we don't learn from this stuff. For whatever reason, we're stuck on stupid. So this is why we have policies that don't work. We are stuck on stupid. That's why we have all these 300 murders a year. We've had it since 1989. We had a brief reprieve during the uh, Sheila Dixon administration when we went down to like 211 or something like that. Well, that's just the air, air, air flow of, of uh, the ebb and flow of the uh, drug situation. You know, with drugs comes a certain amount of murder and mayhem. You, you go to Mexico, anywhere, anywhere where they sell illegal drugs. Mexico, Cole, Colombia, you got the same issues. You know, it's not, and those aren't black people doing it, they're Hispanics. You know, and all you got to do is look at that for the way it is. You know, accept things for the way they are, the facts. Don't get hung up on race and all, you know, we don't because we black people. No. <laughs> These, a lot of these murders are associated with the drug trade. Okay, uh, we had um, what 309 murders last year. When I went through the stats, 84% of the victims, murder victims, 84, because you weren't going to be on this show talking stupidity, we're going to have correct analysis. 84%, not all of them, 84% of the murder victims, murder victims, had criminal records, all right? The vast majority of them for drugs. And only 30 of them were over the age of 50. So people aren't just running around killing each other like the white man's telling y'all what's going on and y'all believing it. It's just a certain segment of our population. Most black men don't have a gun in their pocket right now to go kill somebody, okay? Most black men, let's say, don't even own a handgun, okay? So it's not all of us. It's a certain segment, and they got that gun for a reason. Whatever they use that gun for, the reason they got the gun is so they can, you know, it's a tool. What they call it a tool on the streets, you know, so they can conduct their business. And a drug gang is really um, an employment agency. That's what it is. As long as you got poverty, you know, and the illegal handguns, you're going to have drugs. I mean, you can outlaw the guns all you want. I'm telling you. Most of the murders are committed with illegal firearms anyway. And a person that's in that up in that, in that game, they're not worried about no law you're making against a gun. They, they're not supposed to have one anyway. A lot of them are felons. So, so, I mean, that 
you're going to have to attach this, you know, look at it for what it is. It's poverty driven. Yeah. A lot of them appear to be middle class because they're making money off of what they're doing. Okay. But it's actually, without that, they would probably be in poverty a lot of them. So it's probably, you got to look at the facts and when you're analyzing stuff, you can't just do stupid stuff because you saw a Batman and Robin or you saw Adam 12 on television and you think that's the way to approach a crowd situation in Baltimore City in 2019. Okay. <laughs> look at things that work and do them. Okay. So what we want to do is, um, we're going to talk about the illusion of conclusion because there's an illusion that we're included in, in the whole, you know, social economic process of the United States. And, uh, you know, some of us are, you know, there are, we have honorary white men, you know, you know, we have one over in WBAL, if you want to listen to that. And um, they, they um, help assert this situation that we're in where some people are oppressed and some people don't, aren't oppressed. And then some people, if you give them something or make them a part of that regime, they'll help with oppressing their own people. Others won't. So all people are the same just because they have something. All right. Some people can see the oppression. Even though you're giving them something, they, they see there's still oppression there. And they're going to fight it with every fiber of their being. Okay. Okay. So let's go to, um, we're going to go to 87, uh, uh, Titus. Uh, it's, it's about, we're going to talk about how they're trying to get you to trade your civil rights for a drug-free society, which is impossible. Because Let's examine the past to understand the present. As we all know, one of the most pernicious policies in this country has been the war on drugs. For decades, police used the pretext of drug crimes to initiate illegal arrests, seize property, and disrupt poor communities. Stephen, we've discussed the special psychology of the war on drugs, but it's also bolstered by a mythology, isn't it? Well, yeah, the mythology of the war on drugs is a mythology of the perniciousness of the object. You know, that, that, that possession of an object somehow was comported an entire spectrum of uh, some sort of, you know, force or some sort of evil or or in many ways the racialized animosity or the animosity of the other. But a lot of, and, and the animosity against the poor. And that object allowed the police to basically circumvent the civil rights of almost all of us. And of course, against that was the narrative that you saw in media and you saw in um, Hollywood films and everything, that the impediment to somehow taming that object and the people who possessed it were the civil rights that had been granted to us through the Constitution of the United States. It was a dual sort of narrative. This, on the one hand, embodying this object in a proximity to it is evil. And on the other hand, the only way to extinguish it is to violate the principles that this country was founded on. So it it was really a way to make policing sort of the prime narrator of why some people weren't deserving of political agency. It reminds me of that saying that someone who's willing to deny (laughs) liberty for the sake of security deserves neither. Yeah. So this constant reiteration that conditions like poverty, addiction, and general malaise are the byproducts of a moral or personal failure, while untrue, needs a social agent to make it real. And that agent, as Stephen discussed, is policing. Policing is the myth-making machine that equates poverty with moral failure and inequity is a byproduct of productive capitalism. Think about it. How else could a government agency take billions of dollars of property without due process or take the freedom of tens of millions of people because they possess a substance or shoot and kill us over a car stop? Okay, see, that was a little deep, but I know my audience can handle that, okay? Okay, that's a little, there's a little deep analysis. You know, I, I'll try to break it down to you that basically what they're saying is that they have convinced us to sacrifice our civil rights to have a drug-free society, which is impossible. They're killing people in the Philippines that sell drugs, and they still have a drug problem, okay? They behead people in um, Saudi Arabia for uh, selling drugs at the public square in public. Guess what? Every year, they're beheading people at the public square in Saudi Arabia. Okay? So, as long as there is a need, 
uh, some people or, or a demand. It's called supply and demand, people. If you live in a capitalist society, that's how it works. As long as there's demand for something, drugs, then there's going to be um, a supply of it. There's going to be people that want to take that risk to make that money. All right? Now, during the Depression, you had um, banks. They had <laughs> they had plenty of supply of money. Money was in short demand, but money was in great demand. Nobody had any money. Everybody was broke. White people had like a 30% unemployment rate. Uh, for us, it was probably 100 times more, but we've never had anything higher, um, uh, I mean, lower than 30% unemployment rate. White people had a 30% unemployment rate during the Great Depression. No one above 30 and they went buck wild. You had Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd, Machine Gun Kelly, sticking up banks, you know, killing police on site, going buck wild because money was in a short supply and there were people willing to do whatever to get that money. It's a, you know, that's how it works. Supply and demand. The banks had the, had the supply. The the uh, bank robbers had, had the uh, demand <laughs> at the point of a gun. And uh, by the way, uh, Bonnie sported a... Um, he sported a brand new submachine gun, a military weapon, and that was a powerful, powerful, very, very powerful weapon. She right through brick walls. We we still had them in the um in the army while I was in there. We had Brownings. They called it fifty cows. Those things shoot right through a daggone cinder block wall. Okay, you think you're undercover? Okay, and that's why I'm against military hardware. I'm against um against uh you know surveillance tools, drones, all that stuff because I understand the power of, and I understand how one man with a um. Was the AR or, or um, an M16? Um, I think they call it AR15, civilian version of it. It's an M16 though, and he can go in and kill uh, 50 people single-handedly and wound like 400 some people at a, at a music festival by itself. That's the power of a military weapon. That's why I don't want to see martial law because you got these 18-year-old kids from Hagerstown, wherever, you know, sporting M16s. That is the uh, the basic weapon of a soldier. Okay, and anyway, the National Guard, having the command of the National Guard unit, they're not equipped, um, you know, stop drug dealing in your community, all right? And as I said, out of 309 murders, a lot of them, you know, the, the, the people murdered, a lot of them were um, um, killed indoors. The National Guard can't stop that. Um, by the way, uh, the other thing about the drug gangs is they can order you to kill somebody. If you don't do it, they'll kill you, you know, in some of these gangs. Also, if they, if they come looking for you and you're not there, they might kill your relative, you know, because they can't get you. Um, I had a friend that was um, his. Um, well, my friend was in, involved in the drug trade, and I stayed away from him after that. I found out what he was doing. I stayed away from him because I wanted to stay away from jail, and I had a legal trade. And um, he had did something. He had stole some money from one of those boys or whatever, one of the, one of the drug raggers in the Baltimore City. They went looking for him, and then they found his brother. His brother didn't do any drugs, anything. Nice guy, very nice, peaceful, hardworking man. He took care of his brother. And because they couldn't find him, they killed his brother. And his brother's a friend of my older brother. They were friends. That's why they killed him. It was connected to a drug trade. Now, on the surface of it, it just looked like some crazy person went in the house. And, and um, if you don't know anything about what's going on in the streets, you think somebody went in the house and just decided to kill him because they ain't got nothing better to do or whatever. But they actually went looking for him because he stole money from the drug gang. And um, they couldn't find him, and they killed the um the uh the older brother who was not involved in drugs, who was, a, who was a good guy, you know, unfortunately. I don't want to see anybody get killed, but to have that happen, it's very tragic. Um, and I've seen, I mean, so I know, you know, I know what's going on. And the average, by the way, the average middle-class black man, um, uh, middle-aged, middle-class black, has no idea why the murders are going on. So if you ask him, he's wrong. City Hall, people down there, the mayor has no, no idea what's causing these murders. That's why he's going to have box matches and stuff like that. You know, because he's not living that lifestyle. It's not 
He's not a part of that culture. It's drugs and drug culture that's, that's feeding this thing. Not all of it is about drugs. You had one guy get killed over a chicken sandwich. But he wasn't shot. He was stabbed. By the way, and then most of the murders are committed with handguns in the, in the drug trade anyway. So that was just a basic dispute. You know, you got guys carrying knives. By the way, the murders have increased in um, uh, Baltimore County by 50%. You know why? Because they're moving the problem to Baltimore County. By displacing people, you're the, without solving the problem of poverty, you're, what you're, in effect, doing is, is uh, displacing their means and mode of income. Okay, and with that, like I said, with drugs come guns. You gotta have drug. You have guns to operate a drug cartel. A baby knows that. Okay, anybody a four, a five year knows that. So if you want to just move people out of the city without solving the problem of poverty or trying to get them some jobs, training, get them out of that lifestyle, as with the judge Pastor Klein, um, who um, has reduced reduced recidivism rate in her program to six percent as opposed to Maryland by getting people's jobs and jobs training at a living wage. She's been able to reduce recidivism to 6% in her program because it works. Because she's giving people jobs where they can support their families and support themselves, pay child support, whatever they got to do. Because if you don't pay child support, you're going to jail too. You know? They don't care where you get the money. So, but, okay. So, getting back to um, what I'm, let's, let's go with, and I got callers. Just hold on tight calls. We're going to go to uh, Tana Heasy Coates. That's my man. He's from Baltimore too. And he's, he's going to explain the modern day plunder. How people who have stolen from black people, and a lot of white people think this stuff stopped at slavery, but guess what? We had Jim Crow, and the stuff's still going on where they're plundering our neighborhoods, you know, they're stealing our housing and, and transferring it to the white world. So that would be uh, number 88, Tana Coast, Barn Day Plunder. Yeah, okay. as though you have two equivalent powers, two cousins, you know, each with the same, you know, uh, um, I guess equal valence in the society, and they can't for some reason bring themselves uh, together. But in fact, I think the more accurate way to understand it is the relationship between a pirate and, and the victim of piracy. That's actually what happened. I mean, slavery uh, is not merely morally brutal. It is the taking of um, literally, you know, the fruits of someone's labor uh, for yourself through torture, through torture, which was legal in this country for 250 years. It was okay to do that. Um, if you understand, you know, the housing policies that I go through in the case for reparations, black people, Paying their taxes, obeying the social compact, uh, social contract that you know all citizens are supposed to obey. Huge wealth building opportunities enacted under the New Deal, and despite you know the fact that black people are instead as citizens as anybody else in this country, somehow they don't receive the same benefits. That's plunder. That's plunder. If I take your tax money and I give it to somebody else, mm -hmm. and I don't give you back, you know, same thing I give them, I have taken from um, the period of uh, segregation in this country, which we, we don't think about that as taking from black people. But if you are, again, paying your taxes, and you're, you know, obeying the social contract, as, as you know, obeying the laws, like everybody else, and I give one group of people the ability to vote, which is to say, to decide how those resources are spent and used, and I deprive that of you, I have taken from you, I have plundered you, I have taken something from you. If I build a, a, a library system, a public library system, and then tell you you can't attend it, having used your tax money to do it, I've taken from you. If I have you know, a system of public pools, yeah. and I tell you you can't swim in those pools, but I've built them with public funds that I've taken from you, I have plundered you. If I build an entire university system and you have to be tear gassed and beaten in order to be admitted to that university system, I have taken and I have plundered from you. And you can find the line. 
You, you can find the line for that plunder all the way from the moment we get here in 1619 up to today. If you have citizens in this country and a decision is made to address the problems that they have, the, the drug problems, the, the violence in their communities through the tools of criminal justice and incarceration, which is <laughs> effectively creates a job program for other people because Hate we know where those folks end up, you know, going to jail and where they're housed. And when other folks have problems, for instance, a, 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 a meth, a, an opiate crisis like we're having right now, and I decide to do something Something else right. and address that in a Besides very, very different fashion, I have plundered from you. I have used tax dollars to do something with one group of people that I would not do to someone else. Yeah, exactly. So what we need, <laughs> that's what, it, what supports his reparations argument, is that he's not in need of counseling. He's in need of reparations. That's his stance. Because you've taken all this stuff from black people. You've been taxing them. And uh, you you do things to them that you ain't doing to other people. Okay, like with the... With the um, with the uh, marijuana thing, you when we were talking, discussing how ninety-five percent of the people that were being brought in here for marijuana or locked up for marijuana were black people, even though white people use at the same use that at the same rate. Matter of fact, I was talking to a young guy, a young white guy out in Essex. I was putting a furnace and AC system in, and um, we were talking about that situation. He was talking about how he's going to go get him some medical marijuana. He he said that it's easy. He said, "Why don't you just go get you some?" I said, "I don't. I never care for marijuana, and now that it's uh, decriminalized, I still don't want it." And, um, you know, we had a conversation, and I was explaining to him about drug policy. He, he, he didn't understand why it was illegal in the first place. And I explained, I was explaining to him that in some countries, like Portugal, they actually legalize drugs, but they won't do that here. because it, I mean, And they turn it into a medical condition because they won't do that here. And he said, why not? And I said, because they have a disposable population. It's called black people. Okay? They're not going to uh, legalize drugs and have and take a chance on their kids, you know, becoming addicted. And uh, when they got black people, they can lock up as a use as a buffer, so they can get help for their children. So that's that's why they don't. They don't, to me, from what I can tell, and uh, it proves itself out in a lot of policy, a lot of policy decisions. If you're paying attention, so let's go to um, let's go to Ernest and then see what Ernest has to say today. Go ahead, Ernest. Hello, my brother. How you doing, sir? All right. You're absolutely on point. Now, we've been talking about this murder situation in Baltimore City, but I Googled uh, uh, the murder capital of the United States. The murder capital of the United States was Washington, D.C. Yeah, one time they had 500 murders in one time. 500 yep. murders. <laughs> now, listen to me. Hold on, hold on, Ernest. Keep that thought. And when I listen to white stations, right, I listen to the right-wing radio, they're talking about taking over Baltimore. The black people are oblivious to this. They're talk, actually talking about taking over Baltimore because of the murder rate. Now, if you'd have told Murray and Barry that when they were having five murders, he'd have put his foot in your butt and pushed. You know, he wouldn't be trying to hear that. Now, our policy is too much of a punk to stand up and call, call the people up there and say, look, ain't nobody taking over nothing. These people elected me, and, and we're going to represent them. They want to get rid of me, they're going to get rid of me. You're not going to send Baltimore County in here or the state of Maryland. And here to take the city over, you know. But I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. I yeah. Agree. yeah, you you're absolutely right, and I don't mind you cutting it like that because you you talking truth. Now they had 500 murders. Now during the reign of Rachel Edmonds, he had 500 people working for him, and the people that were slinging for him was 14 and 16 year olds. He would go down to Georgetown. Take a group 
of people down in Georgetown and spend thousands and thousands of dollars. Go out to Las Vegas, rent a plane, and all his people that work for him. Right. Take them all out to Las Vegas. Well, he, he when he got nabbed, they locked up his mother, his two sisters, his okay. brother-in-law, and everybody As in that Huh? As they should have. Everybody <laughs> in that, that thing. And guess who represented him? He had a he had a top lawyer, Billy Murphy. <laughs> Billy Murphy represented him. Oh my God! But he still had he still got double life. He would need Donnie Cochran to get out of that one. Double life without parole. Mm. But guess what? What? In order to get his mother and sisters out of jail, he turned. Day uh, seven. Yeah, he he became a snitch. Right. And was working while he was in jail, snitching on drug dealers and all that people that he knew. That happens. So his, so yeah, so his his mother and his sisters and his brother-in-law got out. Now he got life without parole. Guess what they're talking about doing? What? Letting him out. Okay. <laughs> he was twenty-four years old right. when this happened. He wasn't seventeen, but now you have people saying that sixteen and seventeen-year-olds that commit crimes should be in jail for the rest of their life. Only people that talk this kind of stuff are stupid people and, and stupid, stupid, stupid and, black and, people. And our people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, because this is just an eject. There's a there's a, a man and that's plenty of there's a man serving fifty years of marijuana possession in New York right now. A black man. And you know he's not white. So Right. And marijuana's been decriminalized in like twenty two states. Why is that man in jail? Because <laughs> he's black. Okay. Why he's in jail? Yeah. Hey, but the the thing is, like you said, in the mafia, if you snitching or turning state's evidence for the mafia, everybody in your family, whether they're involved in the drug trade or not, are targets. Your sisters, your brothers, and as a matter of fact, you can't even use the family name. You got right. right. You got even if you're not in the witness protection right. program, you can't use the family name, right? Because they will kill you. But we had this. We have an interloper that come from Washington D.C. to talk uh, all this crime stuff. Right, right. But let, let's um, let's just focus on this show. We, I'm, I'm oh, yeah, okay, but, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll yeah. But ahead. the deal is, Close we got a couple more calls. Uh, okay, the deal is like, with all the drugs. Crack. And all this is about crack cocaine and, and the people's lives that was lost. And, and it's plenty of lives. Right. If you're in a drug gang, you're killing people. Yep. If you're a drug case. kingpin, your gang, you might not be doing it, but, but somebody. You put the mortars out. Yeah, you put the mortars out. You, you putting the orders out. Yeah. Because you can't. If somebody being steal your killed. Dope, if somebody steal your dope. Let's say sticker boys come take your dope. You can't go to the police with warrants talking about. Um, no, somebody stole my drug money and my drugs too. Man, I try, you gotta have that on the street. <laughs> you can't. You cannot do that. And, and you got to. You have to set it up so that a person would be afraid to steal your drug absolutely, money. Absolutely. Or, you can't be seen as a punk. A, a drug dealer. You cannot be seen as a punk on the streets. Not doing that type of business. Right. All right, Ernest. Uh, thanks hey, for calling. Hey, thank you for your information, man. All right, call back next week, please. Okay, so um, let's go to um, Manny. And then we'll go to Gene. Go ahead, Manny. In society that we live in, the society we live in, we as black people, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yeah, we as, as so we got, we, 
yeah, the society that we live in, we as black people, you know, we're built like a Ford truck. We're built from the ground up, you know? We're built from the ground up, you know? But we have to have that uh, continent, <coughs> we have to have, excuse me, we have to have that approach that, you know, we don't get the opportunities that white people get, you know? Opportunity comes when rubber meets the road. Jackie Robinson once said, give me a chance to play this game and I'll show you how this game should be played. Well, let me stop stop right there. Mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson, uh, we were taught in school that Jackie Robinson was the, the first black man that's good enough to play in the major leagues. That's nonsense. Jackie Robinson was no, the first black man. No, I, let me I, finish, I let me finish. Jackie Robinson, this is for the people that don't know. I know you know. Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. was the first black man that they allowed to play in the major leagues because wow. no matter how good he was, he could just walk out on the field and start playing. They would lock him up. So okay. there were a lot of people, people a lot better than him. They just weren't given the opportunity. I know about Satchel Page. I know about yeah, all of them. Ex- absolutely. You know, I know you do. Well, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing about it nowadays, these kids, it, it, this, this vision has no respect for elders, you know? When I was coming up, you would come up with, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know? Yeah, we had plenty of people that were disrespectful, too. I do remember that. And we had gangs back there. They just didn't have yeah, guns yeah. like they do now. But you know yeah. what? Your mother would always tell you, don't hang with Poncho. He's going to get you in trouble. Right, right. They knew. Right. I tell my kids that, too. shouldn't hang with it. Right. I told my kids that, too. And certain people, yeah. they couldn't bring in my house. I didn't play that. Exactly. Well, my, I had 13 sisters, 15 sisters. You know, it was four boys. You know? And, and the thing about my dad, he read that newspaper, had that high five in the front room. He's sitting in the front room with that dude. Right. I had a high five, too. We had a high five, too. Huh? I, we had a high five, too. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> play and, that and once jazz. He that, once he saw that newspaper, go, <clears throat> you know it was time to leave. Right. You that knew it was play. time to leave. I was like, wow. Now, let me, let me, you're old enough to know this. Mm-hmm. I bet you when you was a kid, you knew almost all your friends' fathers, didn't you? Oh, heck yes. yes. A lot of people think oh. that this go, you know, fathers' Man. homes go back to slavery. It don't. Me and you both know that. That's BS. Well, see, we got to yeah. have that continuity yeah. of approach yeah. to living a good life. But it was the welfare yeah. system told these women they couldn't have a man in the house to get the welfare. Yes. And that's what happened. Yes. And then yes. you had the crack epidemic, and that put the nails in the coffin. Yes, for sir. And with like a pregnancy. You know, you know because, what, one thing I yeah. learned about respect is respect is given. You know, it's earned. It's right. Earned. You got to earn respect. You know? Yes, sir. Yeah. But my time is up, and thank you for yours. All right. Thanks for calling. Call back next week. All right. Let's go to Gene. Gene. Yeah. Hey, hey Tyrone. How you yes, doing? Yes, sir. How you doing? Yeah, thanks for, uh, you know, speaking of what they say is truth to power. I just wanted to mention in reference to marijuana, you talked about supply and demand. Um, uh, I follow, I have the PBS app, and I follow. Okay, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Gene, wait right there. I want you to listen to something. Speaking about talking truth, truth to power, I, 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 I might, might want you to comment on this. Mm-hmm. What we want to do, let's go to, you know that um, you know that uh, uh, Byron Allen, is suing uh, Comcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because uh, what they're doing is they have these, they try to say that they have inclusion. They give them the illusion of inclusion. They got these, all these different, like P. Diddy has a um, has a network, and they don't give any money to him because they get money to A&E. Uh, they get money to um, all uh, um, the, the history, cha- all these different channels right. that they get money to. And then like a, a lot of the black stations, they give them no money. They give no other that I know. They give no black station any 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 uh, money because when you pay your cable bill, you'll see the different networks that you're paying into. Yep. Now, there's none of the black stations are included on that. They have to advertise to make their yeah, money. Uh, now, and then you have 
Concord, yeah. Yeah, and then you have, um, well, they, yeah, they have the, and then you have markets, certain markets where black people need to be in, like Philadelphia for their networks. They they can't get those markets for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. So that's why Byron's suing them. They won't play Byron at all yeah. on that stage. Yeah, hop, hop, Hoppo right. and, Hoppo and uh, Radio One. That's right. It. Now, um, now, this is why I explain to people that if you don't understand the Constitution, the people that do understand it are going to use it against you. So what they're trying to do now is they're trying to um, nullify the um, the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1866. Right. A lot of people don't know about it because you got the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, and yeah. the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Yeah, so yeah. what Byron is doing is suing him for $7 billion. So if he wins, guess what? Because if he's understanding the Constitution. He's getting $70 billion, you know what I'm saying? So that knowledge is power. The, use yeah. of, the effective use of knowledge is power. That's what, yeah. that's what we're trying to say to people. Not just knowledge, but the effective mm-hmm. use of it. Yeah. So what we want to do is let's go to Diddy, what Diddy had to say about that. Because you got stations like uh, Aspire and other black stations. They ain't getting no play from the, um, the cable networks. Let's see what yeah. Diddy had to say. But that's my name and my network, Revolt, have been mentioned recently by Comcast in reference to the Comcast Byron Allen U.S. Supreme Court case as an example of Comcast's inclusive practices with respect to African-American-owned cable networks. While it is true that we are in business with Comcast, it is not accurate to use my name or my network as an example of inclusion. I do not want my name to be used inaccurately, so I must speak my truth. I also want to make clear that this case is now about much more than cable distribution. It's about the civil rights of millions of African Americans and other minorities. First, it's importantly important that people really understand what's at stake in its efforts to get the lawsuit filed by Byron Allen dismissed, Comcast has taken a legal approach that could weaken fundamental civil rights protections. I have a problem with this. The Civil Rights Act of 1866, Section 1981, was designed to ensure black people were able to do business in this country and not be denied because of race. Comcast is arguing that this law only applies if racial discrimination is the only factor that leads to refusal to do business, which would be extremely hard to prove. If they are successful, it will become much harder for any victim of discrimination to seek justice in court. By taking its stance in the Supreme Court, Comcast has put its legal tactics ahead of the rights of millions of Americans to be heard. Okay, so what they're saying is that, what Comcast is saying is that they want to use the buy four the but four doctrine, which says that, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the but four, the but four doctrine, which says that what they're trying to say is that if you can't show that 100 percent was because you was black, 100 percent of the reason we denied your business was because you was black, 100 percent, then they, they need to throw it out of court, which is yeah. nonsense because you can't prove that because they can if they if they if they get that ruling from the Supreme Court, what they can do is say, well, 99 percent is because you're black. They can say it in court. One percent is because you got tennis on. Yeah, and they would well, win. They, yeah, the nation, the nation of Islam was ki- kicked off of a Facebook, and uh, Brother Ben X was kicked off of a YouTube. Uh, you know, for the same for the same reason, right. it's, it's, it's hard to anything that deals with the. But they got to take it to court. That's what they need to do. Yeah. Say it to court because the um the fourth the the um Civil Rights Act of 1866 was made as a result of the Dred Scott decision. Now, the Dred Scott decision that was before slavery. Right. You know, Dred Scott was a slave that he was bought no by. Other. Yeah, he was bought by his master, by another master, right. and um, he was taken out of a slave territory, mm-hmm. and uh, they said into a free territory, right. and they said that under the once free, always free doctrine, he would be free. He should be free. Right. So he sued to the Supreme Court to get his freedom. Now the children of the master that owned before paid for all his expenses, right? Yep. And so he lost the case because they said. That a black man has no rights that a white man need right. respect in right. contracting or anything else. Yeah, well, and, Frederick, and, Doug, 
Right, Frederick right. Douglass had to leave the country for the same reason. Right, right. But I'm just, let me say, let me say on the Dred Scott and why that 1866 ruling is important. They, they said because he was black, a black man has no rights, a, a white man in respect, and, and that his arguments in court are not valid. Uh-huh. Okay, and that's what that 1866 uh, rights act was meant to correct, was that, that yes, you do have uh, rights in, in courts and in this country and to do contracting and things of that nature. Because uh-huh. this affects contracting, too. It's very, this is a very important ruling. They're going to rule in, in June. Um, but yeah, but, uh, but Drake, let, me, let me finish. Drake Scott did get free, though, because the children of the previous master uh-huh. got, and I'm, this is why I mean all white people aren't bad. They right. saved all their money and, and ended up buying his freedom. His last year of his life, right. he lived as a free man. And his wife and his children lived the rest of their lives as free people. Okay. They bought their freedom in 1857. Okay. And the ones that paid for his expenses were his previous master's children. That They liked him, and uh, they wanted to um, free him from slavery. But his master wouldn't let him go. I'm sorry, go ahead. I no, I'm just going to say that's why the uh, more science Americans have such a, a valid argument when, when you know, and if you listen to them. If people would right. listen to the, 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 the Moors, they will explain, you know, and tie that tie in. We ain't got to go that far. I can bring it back to Baltimore. Okay, you got you got a hospital. John Hopkins taking property from black from the black community. All right. Okay, why can they do that? Are they doing that? Um, um, are they going south? No, because the white community is south of that. They going north with the black community. They they not, they doing something to black people that they're not doing to white people. Okay, and then you had a government, and like Tanahisiko was saying, you had the government complicit, not complicit, but turn their heads while we had a whole lot of this predatory lending taking place that created this blight in the first place. Then didn't lock nobody up for it. And now they want to take houses uh, and tear them down and give land away for free to developers in the black community, exclusively in the black community. And here we go. We got a, um, we have a group of people that are citizens uh, live. A thousand people signed a petition saying they want to try this uh, dollar house program. Right. And you and these are the people you supposed to be representing. You're not the king. You represent these people. These are grassroots people that say we want this program. You you don't want to try it. I mean, come on. You want to take one a white guy come in here? He don't even live in Baltimore. And give him six hundred fifty million dollars because he said so, and that's the end of it. And then the states will give him some more money that adds up to one point five billion to build Fort Covington. Man, you could build Fort Covington one point five billion. I could too. It's excess of capital. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, again, but you know, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just jumping in. Where, you know where, you, where you're going to right. connecting the dots. Right. But then when when the 46th district is the most powerful district, and it's basically a majority white district that surrounds the harbor that touches the water. Right. Gene, if that's Gene, you made a good point. You made you made a good point. If if uh, if the white community came out of Fells Point and said we want to have a, a thousand people came out of Fells Point and, and raided City Hall like we did that night and right. say we want uh, a damn dollar house program instead of you tearing down our house, guess one. what? They would have a damn dollar house program. Yeah, we'll have a damn so dollar yeah, house so you want yes. we want all we're saying is treat us the way you would white people. Well, okay, and not only that, um, all the citizens are saying is look. We want to borrow our own tax dollars from you. We don't want you to give us a damn thing. Lend us our own tax dollars. We'll pay it back with with 1% interest, and we'll rebuild our own community. And we'll train our young men in the trades and get them out of this drug business. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of times we talk about building coalitions. One of the coalitions that I would suggest that we look into is, um, you know, is uh, the Park Heights community with George Mitchell. George Mitchell is willing to talk about uh, coalitions with anybody now that's a compromise but it's not black nationalism right. my but thing with this program though is number one we're not asking anybody for anything yep. number two we're not trying to enrich ourselves off of right. black misery but he had to right. we're trying to, to we're trying to have affordable housing i get it there's yeah. people building housing all over baltimore right but a lot of it is for rental properties a lot of it is for yeah. profit 
This is um, for uh, renovation and renovation costs only. Uh-huh. Tyler, I want to say that there needs to be a place where you can right. land. Right. You've got to find a place where you can land. And we're looking you know for I mean? it. <laughs> okay. And I mean, and I mean right. that literally, with a place where you could just uh, take your helicopter, you know, uh, uh, land it on the ground, and then implement the I program. I'm all, for the, I'm, all for okay. you know, right. I'm all for your program, man. <laughs> all right, sir, I'm going to move on. Let's go to Leo, and then we go to Diane. Brother Leo. Good morning, Tyrone Bose. How you doing? Come on, sir. How's it going? God bless you. Wonderful yeah. show. Uh, I, I just want to emphasize something, and that is with regard to this upcoming election for mayor in this city and 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 so forth. Uh, we it seems that the people who are running for office, and especially the incumbents, the people who are already in office, Jack Young and Brandon Scott, I don't know where they're coming from when they talk about economics. One of the things you said is a, in a very positive way is that there's a direct correlation, as everyone knows, between poverty and the drug trade. Uh, we know about the the, the scenario. With, there go the violence. With, and the violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know about the, the squeegee boys. We know why why folks That's do much of, of what they do. <laughs> right. I don't hear a threading of the needle regarding vocational education, economics, job training, Thank and placement. You. And Leo, you hit on something very important too: the youth works programs. The squeegee kids uh, they turn away forty five. They don't have an effective youth works program. You turn around, you turn away. 4,500 kids from summer jobs last year. The ones you gave summer jobs to only worked five weeks. And you expect not to have Swedish kids. You're an idiot if you if you believe that these Swedish kids are doing this. You can go, you can go try Sweden all day. And I would tell any politician, take your fat ass out there and Sweden you some cars all day and see how you feel at the end of the day. That's I not easy not- work. I have not been able to get Brandon Scott or Jack Young in particular, who are supposed to be the front runners, to talk about the year-round youth works program that I've advocated. I've gotten the candidate I support for mayor, Michael Jensen, to advocate the year-round youth works. They don't want to put money directly in the hands of black people, but allegedly they're black. Right. I you say can't commit crimes. I don't know. All I hear at is job, at a job. You can't commit crimes. You had a job, can you? You can't be two places at the same time. That's Port, <laughs> you remember how Port Covington and and Kevin Plank got to be where they were with tax incremental financing. The tips right. came by way of Jack Young and Brandon with Brandon Scott's help. They they, they they funnel all kinds of money to Johns Hopkins University, the University of Maryland Medical System. And, and guess what? The federal Port government Covington. gives don't John Hopkins money. They use $1.9 billion of federal funds to tear down our, our community over there in East Baltimore. 60% of the people that, that were displaced want to come back and can't. Okay? They use federal dollars against the black community. And that's an um, existential threat that you're using tax dollars that we pay, too. We so, pay taxes, too. I pay so taxes. How, how black are these people who are holding elective office who don't work for the economic empowerment of black people? They, they, they're, not, they're not on the page about promoting an agenda to empower black people. We're well, talking about they're pretending like if they just um, we can solve this problem with the police alone. The problem of poverty can be solved by police. Every problem can be solved by police. No, it's it stupidity. Cannot. It cannot be. And um, what they're doing, all the police commissioner is is a uh, is a whipping boy. Okay, as soon as they get tired of him. They're going to say, well, the murder is his fault, and they're going to fire him and go to New Jersey somewhere and get another police Well, the, the mayor is talking about funding for the current commission for education. Uh, that's well and good to talk about that, but the reality is if you don't have vocational education, if you don't have a mechanism Absolutely. by which you can put people 
in work within a year or two, Thank they're going to die. At a living wage. At a living wage. At a living wage, yeah. they're going to die. Now we and need that, five or six jobs to survive. And the city council is aiding and abetting the deaths of our black brothers and sisters. It's an outrage. It is. God All right, thank you, Leo. Keep up the good work, man. All right, call next week, sir. Okay, let's go to Diane. Good morning. How you doing, Tyrone? Good morning, Diane. How's it going? I'm well, well. Um, I love what you say. You know, um, sometimes we have to get up a- as people and do stuff for our self-demand. I'm in the, yes, I'm in the most powerful district. My district is 46. I, uh, I do live in the 46. Right. And it's by default because they changed the uh, the district. Gerrymandering. Um, 2010, right? right. The census, right? So right. we were in the 44th. And when they broke up the 44th and put it half in the city and half in the county, so that made us in uh, southeast Baltimore was by itself, you know, didn't have anything. So they put, it, put us with the 46th district, which is, you know, what you were talking about, South Baltimore, um, Locust Point, and all that stuff, and Farrell uh, Hill and um, Farrell's Point and Canton, and us. So, you know, we all in, and Butchers Hill, and we we all in that together, you know. So we have to talk to our senator to make him understand who we are as African Americans. We did that. And right. somebody in and we, Cherry Hill told him, are you scared of black people? They told him this a couple of years ago. They said, because we believe that you're scared of us, you know. So he has really changed, you know, in that way, because you had to come to him to let him know how you feel, and you know, with him and everything. Because at first we, it was all um, white, you know, for you know, right. the leadership. They, mm-hmm. Then we got one person because the former mayor picked um, a, a one of our delegates to serve on her um, down in uh, City Hall with her. So we had to, um, so the State Central Committee picked Bribe Lewis. So we have one black representative in the 46th and, uh, as a delegate. Okay. That's Robbie uh, Lewis. All right, Diane, go ahead close because we got so, a couple you know, more I'm calls. So, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, we had to demand what we want. And people also want people to read, reread if they haven't read or ha- if they did read um, The Miseducation of a Negro by right. uh, Cardi G. Bush and they would understand Excellent what's book. happening today. If we just read, we'd understand a lot of stuff. Because a lot of it has, just like you said, has mm. historical implications. Right. If you understand the history of something, yes. then you understand where you're at today. You yes. can't and actually, you cannot understand the present if you don't understand what happened in the past to get right. you here. And Dr. Claude Anderson, I'm gone. He said that we have to be economic together as lo- as well as political. Poweronomics is his, his thing. Right. As well as um, political, yeah. you know, and that's yeah. what a lot of other people do when they mm-hmm. they vote. They all come together and vote for one person. There you go. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling, Diane. Call next week. Let's go to Mark. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, Tyrone. Let me first tell you, man, you and your family and everybody else, enjoy your holiday, brother. I'm getting the haircut. I try to catch you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You got me. You got me. You got Baltimore, too. Go ahead. You, you 100% right, man. Um, our leadership on the summer jobs and on, on, on your program has really, really failed us, man. This Pew gave you a pilot program, and we should have hit the ground running. So, I mean, it's just ridiculous, man, on on all the fronts um, that's going on in this city. You know, everything from homeless uh, youth to the squeegee boys. It all, it all boils down to social economics. And uh, yes, uh, Diane mentioned on the way out, she was talking about Dr. Claude Anson, who has a thing he's talking called powernomics. We got to... We got to do things within the courts. We got to do things within uh, at collective economics, and we got to do things within our voting. We got to vote more intelligently, as Malcolm X said, you know, before he was killed. 
we got to vote more intelligently. We can't put people in there that are nothing more than puppets for the establishment. And uh, right. they're not doing a damn thing for us, but setting us up to fail. Nothing. Uh, nothing, man. And yeah. it's shameful. Failure's it's not really an option. Shameful, man. Yeah, people die when you fail. Yeah. So. But you take care, brother. It's always good to talk to you, man. All right, sir. Thanks for calling. Let's go to Alan. All right. Okay. Let's go to Alan. Go ahead, Alan. How you doing, Tyrone? You pretty smart, man, because you read my mind. Guess who's the two powerful men in America and they African-American? Byron Allen, because he used to be on something in the eight, I think. Ripping it, believe it or not. So I didn't know he was doing that good in Maryland. And uh, the guy named that, Tyler Perry. Oh, it's Perry. not right there. Byron Allen was doing stand-up comedy when he was 14. Sure. Let me right. finish. Let me finish. Go ahead. Now, that By- Byron, By- Byron Allen as a kid wrote comedy for um, Jimmy Walker, J.J. Walker on Good Times. He was in a room with uh, David Letterman, who was living out of his car at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, what's the other one? Jay Leno. They were, they were, bum- they were bum-broke. And Jimmy Walker was helping him out. He paid him two hundred fifty dollars a week to help write, you know, comedy for him. Jay Leno <laughs> and um, and uh, you look this up. And um, uh, um, what's the other one I said? Um, uh, Letterman and Letterman. Yeah. So, so yeah. But yeah. You're making my point though. Yeah, See, but he's a smart man, and he ended up. What he figured out was there's more money behind the camera than in front of it. Let me say this real quick. You know who the most powerful quick. man that needs to be in court with him? Tyler Perry. Because he's uh, telling them Ku Klux Klan, I'm recouping all the stuff you plundered from my race. Okay. Thank well, thank you for calling, sir. Call back next week. But uh, I tell you what, uh, we've come to the conclusion of another exciting and informative edition of the Call Tyrone Show. Um, so what I need you guys to do is come back next week because we, um, we just ran out of time. And an hour, I'll tell you, hours is just not enough. It just flies by. And uh, I know you're going to be back because... Like I say, the history you learned in school was a joke. <laughs> Very uninformative history. And if, I don't care where you went, college, whatever. And uh, you get the truth here. And you can't understand what's going on now if you don't understand what happened in the past. And I thank you for your time. W-O-L-B Baltimore and W-E-R-Q-F-M HD3 Baltimore.